This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Today, as part of our Town Hall series in partnership with the Washington Indivisible Network and Indivisible Tacoma, we present a conversation with Ingrid Anderson. She is running for state senate in the 5th Legislative District. This conversation was recorded live on the evening of Wednesday, September 9th. Ingrid Anderson is a former ER nurse who is currently completing her master's to become a psychiatric nurse practitioner. She's also vice chair of the Washington State Nurses Association Political Action Committee Board. She is running for Senate in the 5th LD. This is my home district. It includes Black Diamond, Maple Valley, Issaquah, North Bend, Carnation, Snoqualmie, and parts of Enumclaw and Renton. Hello, Ingrid. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me tonight. Oh, it's just wonderful. It's great to see you. So uh, we know that Monday was Labor Day, and so I thought we'd start there. Um, Let's start by talking about the fact that you've been endorsed by over 30 labor unions. Uh, This is huge. Uh, let's talk about the, the the importance of that endorsement. And in particular, I would love to hear you talk about the importance of unions right now in this economic environment that we're in. I am so glad you brought that up because I've been a union member since I was 18 years old when I started working at my, at my local grocery store. And through that process, through to the hospital today where I'm a member of WSNA, I have learned the importance of what it means to be in a union with strong labor laws and people who are advocating for safe workplaces, uh, living wages, and better health insurance, um, amongst other issues that often come up in workplaces to protect workers and help advance them. This is so important. Across the U.S., there is a war on labor right now. It's a war on working people put forward by major corporations. Um, And I'm so proud to live in a state that has one of the highest union density rates of all the U.S. And just recently, Washington State was also voted one of the most important and and, uh, good states to be a worker in. And I think that's a direct correlation with our high percentage of union membership. So I am extremely proud to be supported by so many different working people across all different spectrums, from nurses to teachers to laborers. There is such a wide variety of people who believe in this campaign because they're ready to have an advocate of working people and somebody who understands what our working families are going through in the fifth LD. Well, as a fellow union member, yes to everything that you just said about unions. And, you know, as a labor leader, you fought on behalf of your fellow nurses in Olympia on some legislation. I would love for you to just tell us about that experience briefly. Yeah, so this is such a great story, I think. It's a story of triumph and what it means to be organized. So about three years into my nursing career, I was starting to see people burn out in the ER that I was working in and starting to see areas that we could do better. One of the issues that I saw time and time again is that we never got rest breaks and we were working 12 and 16 hour shifts. When I tried to ask my employer for rest breaks, I was told that when I went to go sit down and discharge a patient, that that was a restful period. (laughs) And that if I took a drink of water, that that counted. And I knew that the data showed that if I was fatigued and tired or hungry, I'm less likely to catch a medical error before it reaches the patient. Nurses and healthcare professionals like respiratory therapists and other groups like nurses catch over 80% of medical errors before there's any harm done to the patient. 
but that number goes down significantly if we are fatigued and tired. So I ended up taking my my, uh, employer to arbitration because I knew I had to advocate not just for the workers of my unit, but for my patients and my community because I knew their health outcomes would improve if we could get rest breaks. So I, I took my employer to arbitration and we won after several years. And I then brought that experience to Olympia because I heard time and time again from other nurses that they were being threatened to lose their jobs if they took a break. So I started giving testimony in Olympia and trying to bring that perspective and and to show our legislative representatives the amazing gains we made and our patient satisfaction was through the roof setting national standards. It was unheard of that we were having a 98% uh, uh, success rate in how many people would recommend us and enjoyed their, their treatment. Our time to getting a catheter, if you were having a heart attack, went down by half almost. I mean, just significant outcomes that really benefited the community and the workforce. Um, Unfortunately, it was still met with a lot of opposition, especially in the Senate. Uh, As they tried to gut our bill, I found that even the current incumbent voted against a foreign amendment that gutted the bill that wouldn't even give rest breaks to my own very hospital and here in Snoqualmie. That really woke me up to if if my state senator isn't going to work with me and and even more importantly, work against me, who else is he working against and and who is he listening to? And I thought, this is time that we have different leadership and somebody who really comes to the table to listen to how the constituents of this district um, are trying to get by and trying to better our communities. So that's why I'm running today. And something I will say that you also bring is youth and you also are a working mom. And I'm wondering how those things inform your your policy priorities. Yeah, like so many working families, the pandemic has turned my family's life upside down, right? Sometimes it feels impossible trying to balance work and and trying to do childcare and now teaching virtual kindergarten for my son. It is wild. And on top of that, running a campaign for state Senate. Um, But that is so important because I'm going to bring those perspectives with me. And these issues are are real lived experience. And I understand the issues because these are the same issues that affect my community. And I know we have to do more. We have to find a way that we can get our kids back to school, but safely. And also while protecting the staff who are going to care for them. It's not just about reviving our community. That should not be on the backs of our teachers. It is our job as representatives to find a solution and not put that on our teachers. It is our obligation. And things go even beyond the pandemic. I mean, just look at the issue we have over affordable childcare and bringing down healthcare costs. These are the experiences I bring with me as a working mom to Olympia. And it's something that I'm gonna put on the top of my agenda uh, is to help working families in my district when I when I am in the state senate. And you are getting a lot of enthusiasm in the chat bar. I'm sure you're you're noticing. And I would imagine that uh, having a young child informs the way that you think about the future of the environment. So I want to talk about climate. And I kind of buried the lead here because you recently got endorsed by Governor Inslee, and he endorsed you in part because of your commitment to taking on the climate crisis. So we'll talk about that. But I, I just want to talk a little bit about what Governor Inslee's endorsement means to you. 
I am so excited and we are so energized about this endorsement. This is big news. And we are hearing from constituents all over the district how excited and how this is elevating my campaign. People are fired up right now to see this kind of leadership and see this kind of representation. This is what our district is currently looking for. And I know it was a very big decision. Uh, I believe this is the only time the governor has endorsed a Democrat who is challenging an incumbent Democrat. And I think that really speaks to the value system that I hold and how similar it is to Governor Inslee's. I bring with me the experience of a healthcare provider and the fact that I understand the disparities that are help happening in our healthcare system and the direct correlation that our climate crisis has and how that directly is also a healthcare crisis. And I'm able to link those together for people. Uh, he believes that I will bring this perspective to Olympia to help our COVID-19 response and, and thus our economic recovery and also addressing the shortcomings of our healthcare system to make sure that all Washingtonians have access to affordable quality healthcare. Absolutely. Economic recovery, healthcare. I want to get to those in a second, but I want to stay with climate for just a moment because uh, last session, the governor worked with the legislature to put forth a clean fuel bill. This was aimed at curbing greenhouse gas emissions. This uh, It originated as HB 1110. There was a, a companion Senate bill. It stalled in committee in the Senate. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you and your opponent differ on this bill. Yeah. My opponent does not support this bill, and there's a variety of reasons he lists. Um, but I think most importantly is many of us throughout the district kept calling his office this session, trying to urge him to come and listen to us, come to the table, hear why we need this bill to be passed. And it fell on deaf ears. Uh, I absolutely will not just be a yes vote. I'm going to be a champion to finally get this clean fuels bill passed. It is passed in the House two times a year, just two times in a two years in a row, sorry, just to stall in the Senate. We need a champion, and the current incumbent refuses to do that. I see a direct correlation in my patients at the bedside when I'm caring for them and, the, and how the particulate matter from our use of fossil fuels uh, directly increases the risk of cardiovascular death and respiratory compromise and death. And the beautiful thing is if we get this clean fuel standard passed, we don't have to wait five and 10 years to see reduction in this risk we will see an immediate reduction in this particulate matter. And thus we will see an immediate reduction in the rates of childhood asthma, in the rates of heart attacks, in the rates of all kinds of different respiratory and cardiac death, immediate reduction. And this also is an equity issue because often people who are in urban areas uh, it, are people of color and they are mostly affected because of the particulate matter. So I think I can bring that perspective of a nurse and a mom with a son with asthma to bring other people to the table to understand that we don't have another four years to waste. We must make this change now. So let's do talk next about healthcare because I really want your perspective as a, a healthcare professional. We're still in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, you say on your website, quote, we must use this challenge to reevaluate our healthcare system. How do you feel COVID has changed the way that we think about healthcare? And do you see opportunities there? 
you know, with all crisis also comes opportunity, right? So I think COVID has shown us the best of our healthcare system and the worst. One of the things I am so immensely proud of is to be a frontline worker as a nurse working side by side with other healthcare professionals who continue to show up day in and day out, even though they know that they are putting themselves at grave risk of health compromise and even death. Even when we did not have adequate PPE, which is still somewhat the case today, we still show up. We go to the bedside and we help our patients because we know that we make a significant impact in our community when we do this. So that is some of the beautiful parts of healthcare. Some of the other flaws though that COVID has exposed is the inequities that we see. We can see huge increases uh, of mortality and death in people of color. We can see huge disparities in access to healthcare, which we already knew as healthcare providers was a real big deal, but it has shown a spotlight on it and accentuated it. We've also seen how so many people have their healthcare uh, linked to their employment. And now with so many people without jobs, we also now have so many people who have lost their healthcare in the time where they need it the most. We have seen as healthcare providers and members of the community, because I know you've seen them too, the areas that we could work on. And there are so many opportunities. We can make legislation that changes this. Our legislative branch governs so much of healthcare. It governs providers' licensure. It covers health insurance. It covers access to healthcare. It covers our behavioral health. And I'm going to bring that experience with me um, to help navigate our pandemic response and thus our economic recovery. It is essential. There is not a nurse in the Senate right now. And we desperately need that, that experience and that frontline uh, knowledge of where we can improve our healthcare system. And I am so excited to bring that with me. Well, and I just want to say thank you. Uh, we're, we're very grateful to you for being on the front lines of what has just been an unprecedented and, and quite frankly, uh, terrifying time. So thank you for your service, for your bravery. Um, tied in with all this is the budget. Of course, um, almost every Democrat in the legislature agrees that something needs to be done to address Washington's regressive tax structure. It's the most upside down in the nation. What would you like to do? And I'll just ask you to contrast what you see as differing from your opponent's approach. I'm so glad you brought this up because this is a real sticking point for many people in my district. So we all know that Washington has the most upside down tax code where low income and middle income Washingtonians and small businesses are paying a far greater share in taxes than the wealthiest, the millionaires, the billionaires, and the major corporations. And this is a huge disparity that must be addressed. We must look at different forms of revenue that help flip this upside down tax code and benefit the true people of our district, right? All of us working families and those on limited incomes and our seniors, they are struggling right now carrying the burden because special interests have carved loopholes into our tax code for decades now. We absolutely have to take action now, not in a couple years from now, but now. Um, and I hear a lot of excuses from the incumbent about why we shouldn't do that. And I've heard this for years. The current uh, thing that the incumbent says is that a capital gains isn't reasonable. 
He knows I'm a big advocate of capital gains. And he says it wouldn't give us an income for a couple of years. And while that may be true, he was saying that years ago. We've needed it now. And I don't want to be saying the same story in two years from now when we're in an even bigger hole than we are now. So we really need to look at making corporations pay their fair share. It's not okay that an average family in my district is paying about 20 cents on the dollar in taxes, where Bill Gates is paying about one cent. Uh, it's, it's okay to ask them to pay their fair share. And I am absolutely going to advocate for the capital gains tax and closing these corporate loopholes so that we can relieve the burden on regular working people in middle We just have a couple minutes left, uh, and you have touched on this numerous times, but I would like you to address it directly. Because of recent events, I would like to talk about equity, uh, racial equity. It really does touch virtually everything. Uh, So as a legislator, I'm wondering how you see and frame the problem of racial equity and, and how you would see yourself as part of the solution. Yeah, that is so at the front of so many of our minds right now, right? As it should be. And I'm embarrassed to say it hasn't been my whole life, but man, am I, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to pay attention and I'm going to use my privilege as a white woman to advocate and help bring people of color to the table so that they can have a voice. I think racial equity is extremely important and it's clear we have so much work to do. Uh, We're seeing protests uh, about racial issues with the police force, and this is a very real, very important issue. It's only the tip of the iceberg. We have systemic issues with racism that go through all different walks of life in our education system, in our healthcare system, in our workforce. It is in every area, and these are all areas that we legislate around. So why aren't we having people in office being this advocate and bringing people of color to the table so that they can inform us on every level of uh, legislation. It should not be an afterthought. This needs to be built into every form of legislation from the beginning. With that in mind, we need to have that equity lens so that we can hopefully give other people the privileges that I've been so lucky to have, that you've been so lucky to have. It is our duty to do that. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and honestly, we, we could have a discussion just about this issue uh, for, for the full 20 minutes that we have. But lastly, I just want to ask you about how you're financing your campaign. Uh, are you accepting any corporate contributions? Nope. So <laughs> how are you I doing it? Because it's, 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 it's hard to finance a, a campaign for sure. It's super hard to finance a campaign, especially now in the time of COVID and especially being a brand new uh, person to the race, right? So the incumbent has outfunded me probably $4 to one. He has raised an extraordinary amount of money. And a large amount of that has come from money that I refuse to take, corporate interests, oil money, fossil fuel money, pharmaceutical companies paying him, insurance companies, banks. I refuse to be beholden to these special interest groups. They have enough representation in the state Senate. I want to be an advocate for the people. And so I refuse to take funds like that. And I don't care if that means that he's outspent because this is a campaign of the people and by the people. And as we've seen in the primary, that message is resonating with the district. People are excited to have somebody who's in their camp, who understands and chooses to support them. So I am really relying on grassroots donors, whether you can give $1, 
$500. I do need your help. I do need your help so that I can get my message out to voters so they know who I am and that I can also uh, put forth literature when I am being thrown under the bus by groups like uh, like Uber has and Walmart has. I need to be able to combat those lies that will be told about me. And so I do need those donations. I also need volunteers. We made an amazing, we made over 70,000 phone calls before the primary. We are so proud of this. And we had over 140 volunteers, but we need more. We need people to show up and do text banking, postcard writing, phone calls to voters in the district. There is so many different ways that you can help get involved. So go ahead and go to my website, which is www.ingridforstatesenate.com. And there's a donate button there. There's also a get involved link and you can hit that and we will find something that matches what you're able to do. We will train you if you haven't done it before and we're going to make it fun. It's a, it's a really good group experience and we're really proud of all the volunteers we've had. And they all say that it's a great experience and fun. Well, you referred to this just a moment ago, but uh, we saved the best for last. You won your primary. Uh, and, and tell me by how many votes, what was the final vote count? Oh, gosh, now I'm on the spot. I worked all day. so <laughs> What roughly is it? Okay, it's 491. Okay, let's say 491, <laughs> and I will say that every vote counts. So in addition to everything that you talked about, we need everybody to to vote. you got to vote the full card this year, gang. Okay, Ingrid Anderson, it has been such a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks again to Ingrid Anderson. Thanks also to Kat Pipkin with the Washington Indivisible Network and Julie Anjievsky with Indivisible Tacoma. And that is it for today. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Thanks this week to Catherine Feisiers. Special thanks to Lori Kowal. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.